clubhouse. Welcome back to a galaxy far, far away. This is the How Uncivilized podcast. This is Paul with my friend Mark. Hello, Paul. How did you like episode six? It was awesome. It was fun. It was the action we were promised. Yeah. Um, I just thought, I thought it was really good. I have a few nitpicks and things like that, but uh, yeah, I liked it. What about you? This is the kind of uh, action and heroic events and stuff like that that I kind of expect from Star Wars. It didn't have the big heroic, I would say, swells like you might get with, say, like a John Williams score backing up stuff happening on screen, like like I'm thinking of like the movies in particular. But this has always been a separate animal in terms of its presentation. It's more mature take on the galaxy. And so those little moments that happen in this are still as heroic, but they don't have like that, that same sort of like... Um, Cinematic... You know, yeah, prowess. yeah, that's exactly. A good point. Yeah, there's, there's just still very good, but there's no fanfare to it. It's just more like this is a rebellion. Shit happens. We got to keep going. That is also fine. That is also good. So, what was your big high point for this episode? The thing that sticks out the most was the. I think you had said last week you were talking about maybe there's a mole in there or there's someone who's not quite what they seem, and that's what they hit us with with this huge plot twist with Skeen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was, that was pretty shocking. And of course the, the fact that he instantly murdered him without like, <laughs> you know, a second response, that was the craziest part of the episode. But I will tell you, that's one of my nitpicks is they kind of spent all that time building up his character and, oh yeah, he's, you know, he wants revenge for his brother. And he's, he's like, I don't know if this guy's a true believer, you know, I'm a true believer. And there's all that time they spent developing that. And then he was like, yeah, I'm going for the cash. You in? To me, I just didn't quite buy that character change. Well, I was going to ask you about yeah. that. Like, what did you think of that? I didn't really see that coming. And as it happened, I wasn't totally satisfied with it either. I'm not sure why it sat so badly with me, except that I think it's like you. It's like he had gone so far out of his way. I mean, he, he lived with these rebels herding the four horned goats, you know, for months. And he went out of his way to try to point out Andor being not committed and bringing treasure to a heist and all that kind of stuff. So like you say, they build up this character to look one way was it really a long con for Skeen? Like he had always had it in his mind that that at the right moment he would betray them. Even though later he admits that he can't actually fly an interstellar craft. So, <laughs> like, what? Like that doesn't all quite add up to me either. Yeah, and I guess he said we have been in and out of these like prisons, and we have the same background. And hey, the only way we survive is to step over, you know, other people's bodies to get what we want. And that was kind of their dialogue to explain his actions. But yeah, they didn't really set that up like he did. They didn't really bond over that so much because then he still, after that conversation about how they both had a similar background, he still called him out, you know, with the Kyber Crystal incident and all that. So yeah, it just didn't, it didn't seem right. But I guess he just, he had a hunch that Andor was in it for the money too. And and I, and I think from a writing standpoint, it, it was a test for Andor. Like, hey, are you really in it for just the money? I think what we learned is he's not in it for the money, but at the same time, he's a person of his word to a fault. You know, he said he's going to do what he's going to do and that's it. There's no moment of thought. Why do you think he killed him? I guess he thought he had the logic that he, he had to do it 
for me, it would take, I'd have to think about it. Like, hold on, let me think about this for a minute before I decide to shoot you in the head. But I guess he calculated that, that there was no other choice. It was kill or be killed, I guess. Like, I guess he thought Skeen might try to get the upper hand if he didn't agree. And he was also maybe trying to protect Vel. Yeah, something along those lines. Something like, whether we like it or not, as a storytelling point, this is the way it went. He was going to betray the group. So his story of, why don't you fly me and the money that we will split, wink, wink, to this remote place where no one else is. And you and me are just going to hang out. And you're supposed to trust that this is what's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's the calculation, too. It's like, I'm not going to trust this guy who's shown to have not to be not trustworthy just now. (laughs) But then the bug out after that, it made me wonder, like... With Skeen coming unhinged from what he had said he was, it made me wonder if that put Andor in a spot where he just didn't know who he could trust. So he had to get out with what he, with no more than what he was promised because he didn't want to create a target on himself, but he definitely needed what he was promised. But then just get out because he didn't know who who he could trust anymore. Oh, that's interesting because I did think it was kind of weird how he, he came in with his gun out with Vel. Like yes. as if he didn't, like you said, like he didn't trust her as well. Like maybe was she in on Skeen's plan or he didn't trust her either. And he, he just wanted what he was due. But I do think he has much love for Luthen, you know, respect for him. And in the fact that he gave the, he wanted to, her to give the Kyber crystal back to him and follow through with what he said. That fits his character. Yeah. So everything about the Skeen thing is, I agree, that's kind of like a high point and a, and a low point in terms of, we didn't see it coming. And, but does it make sense? And so there's a few elements around that. Like once we know that Nemec is in pretty bad shape, there's the moment where Vel's like, she's not saying she doesn't want to go to the doctor, but she doesn't want to go to the doctor. And Skeen's like, let's go to the doctor. I'm starting to think like that was, it was kind of to save Nemec, but it was sort of like, you know, if we go straight to where we drop off the money, I'm not going to have any chance at this money. So you think it was an opportunist thing that he didn't really premeditate, but once things had gone so wrong and he sensed an opportunity, that's when he just decided to do it. I mean, I guess I can buy a little bit more. I think they could have given us a little bit more earlier on, like, yeah, when this is over, I've got to, you know, like he has some ambition that he has, he needs money for or something like that. Yeah. You know, that might've sold it a little better. With what we were given, that motivation just didn't seem to work. In the tail end of that scene... When Vel says that Nemec insisted on presenting Andor with his manifesto, I wonder when that insisting happened since he had a broken back and was put under for surgery. Ooh, good observation, Paul. I didn't think about that. So I kind of wonder if that was Vel, like, trying to incept the core values of the of the rebellion in Andor. What do you think? Oh, wow. That's a good that's a good thought. It could be a conversation that they had before the heist. So, you know, that it could she maybe she took that liberty or maybe he became conscious for a minute before. I don't know. That's a good question. But I tell you, when they were doing the surgery and he, you know, he was like paralyzed or whatever. I had this vision. I was like, oh, man, how cool would it be? to have this mouse dude as like a Stephen Hawking's Bran Stark type guy cruising around in like some crazy chair, like with this harebrained philosopher that would be part of the rebel leadership, like mm. later on. <laughs> I was like, that would be awesome. You know, it, like in like in Rogue One, how they use the word hope a few times to help motivate 
various people to do the right thing in different different situations. But I think hope is like a very guarded sliver of an idea. Like it's yes, it's there and it and it runs through everything, but it's not going to save everybody. With how mature the themes are with with Andor, hope's only going to get you so far, and it's not going to save Mouse. <laughs> is what I mean to say. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, there, that, that's the grittiness in, of the yeah. show here. But yeah, what do you think is going to become of this manifesto? Do you think he's uh, he's going to read it and become persuaded by it, or what? I think so, to some extent. Yeah, it may not, maybe not totally right away, but like at the beginning of the episode. When Nemec was talking about writing it, revising it, rethinking different aspects of it, such as the role of mercenaries like Clem, for instance, he, I mean, he was willing to debate it with him instead of just being like, shut up. I don't want to hear about this, you know? So it's like, it is already in there in in his consciousness and his awareness that he's been thinking about these ideas and these ideals for the last few days anyway. So I think curiosity might get him to open the book. Yeah, they had that uh, convo in the beginning of the episode talking about how rebels have to adapt out of necessity, whereas the Empire is fat and happy, is demonstrated by the Commandant's belt and all that. Yeah. And that, you know, they don't care enough. They're not motivated. They don't have the passion. Um, So yeah, like you said, they had kind of a debate. He's like, do I look thankful? You know, because he was trying to dog on him. Mm -hmm. So they kind of set that up a little bit. I think for me, my high point, I mean, anytime you see Andor just do the quick draw and uh, take somebody out, it's such a core characteristic of him. So, but since you already said taking out Skeen, I won't say taking out Skeen. I think I'm going to go with just the shootout in the shuttle bay, that whole sequence. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino in this one, you know, a lot of guns drawn. We had the Pulp Fiction adrenaline shot to the chest moment. Yeah. <laughs> that was some good tension. What's interesting about the, such a small team is that in a way, like they're all necessary. Like there's no real extra person. They needed Terraman because he knew how to act like a stormtrooper. They needed Nemec because he was the brains and the soul and he had the gadgets. They needed Cinta and Vel to do the underwater part. And in the Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Gungan City thing. Skeen was actually kind of the extra because they turns out that they needed Andor to fly the, the shuttle. But if anybody goes down before their use is fulfilled, like the whole thing is called off almost. But once their use is fulfilled, then they're okay to go. And that was kind of how it went. And it happens without ceremony. Like I mentioned before, without the big John Williams swell, uh, Gorn gets gunned down with almost nothing. You know, it's almost yeah, off I, I screen. Had to, I had to rewind it. I was like, wait, where's Gorn? I was like, did, did he really just get killed? And that was that? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. Yeah, it was over. Yeah, did you notice they had the high ground, Paul? That's oh, a Star Wars thing now. That is, uh, yeah, it's tough to beat. You can get your legs cut off if you're not careful. And that, but I didn't notice that in the moment, but good, good call. Terraman also, he got them in, but his use was fulfilled and he was a goner after that. How did you feel about the tactic of putting a gun on the commandant's wife and son? I wonder if that was part of the plan or if that was impromptu. I bet it was not part of the plan. Unless Gorn knew that he was going to have his family there. 
I guess they had no choice at that point, which sounds awful. <laughs> but of course, they gave us the family squabble scene where he was established as kind of a jerk. Yeah. Uh, dad situation. So they kind of softened that up. And the, and, even, and the wife was even like, just do what they say, thinking he's probably not going to do what they say. <laughs> Think about it from the, like the family point of view. Like, this has got to be a really terrible assignment, you know? It's it's not that the Donnie people are bad or anything like that. It's just like there's nothing happening here. They're not interfacing with the culture. In fact, they're trying to squash and erase the culture. There's no like commerce for them to go in and do any like anything with. There's no entertainment for them. They're just meant to stay at that base all the time. Their existence very much sucks there. And uh, dad is not a soft place to land, <laughs> especially for the son who isn't quite measuring up to whatever standard dad has to measure. But on the second viewing, I was curious, like they pointed their guns at the kids specifically as a way to motivate dad. And this is very much in keeping with Andor as a as a theme, not that Andor did it, but just like, this is the grown-up universe. This is not Jar Jar Binks here. This is, I don't know if I, if I'm actually going to shoot this kid, don't put me in that spot, but I'm going to have to point my gun at him to get you to, to act right. Yeah. It's a, it's at all, at all costs, but at the same time, the commandant told Vel, you know, oh, you're just going to kill us anyway. And she said, basically, no, they weren't. That's the Imperial way. And so I don't know if you believed her or not, but she, I, I, I kind of liked how she was just out there with the ride or die. We win or you all die or we all die. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and like you said, very, very all grown stuff. I'm down with it. I am down with it. I'm just, you know, in Star Wars, we've had, you know, happy robots and silly aliens and stuff like that. And then we also have things like this. We've been aware of the rebellion and we've even seen some of the rebellion fought, but we haven't actually seen a lot of the nitty gritty, how the non-glamorous part of the rebellion takes place. We see princesses and Jedi and stuff like that, but we don't actually see what it takes to get the princesses and the Jedi in a position to be able to do those massively heroic things. It's things. They, yeah, they played with that with Saw Gerrera's group. Mm, good call. So, yeah. You know, that's the they played with that during the Clone Wars. And I know he's going to he's going to make an appearance here at some point in the next couple episodes, surely. But they're definitely bringing more of that in, which is, yeah, I'm, I'm down with it as well. I've got a question for you. When Vel, she told Andor to take point, you know, during the the attack. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, is it because he's the most talented or is it because he's expendable, as Lothan had said? Maybe it's somewhere in between, like, well... You're getting the hazard pay, so <laughs> why, don't, why don't you lead us out, hotshot? Yeah, because Andor hadn't needed to do anything very specifically great just yet. Yeah, he really didn't do a great job in the attack. I mean, he there was that one big guy that was eyeballing him, and he, he shot his shot, and then our boy Mouse had to take him out. He could have been killed easily. I mean, they needed him to get the ship off the ground. That's true. But in terms of being a utility player, he, he didn't come into to play very much. In that scene where they're holding the Commandant's family before things really get kicked off, and the engineer, who is not uh, Galen or so, he's just some other guy named Colonel Pettigar, he pulls his pistol out to say, 
you know, let the boy go. Very interesting dichotomy here, right? Because we have the rebels, the good guys, holding a kid at gunpoint, and we have an, an imperial officer say, cut that out. But then we shoot him because he's the dick. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we had Jacinta coming in hot, like a bad A. Yes. I think that sort of reversal might fly over a lot of people's head because it's like, we're supposed to be the good guys, but the good guys are keeping a child at gunpoint and the bad guy saying, hey, stop it. But we kill that guy. Good call. Yeah. Good observation. That was uh, an- another Quentin Tarantino moment. Yeah. Because he wasn't wrong for doing that. You would you would hope that, that someone would stick up for a kid. You'd say, well, that guy's not wrong for doing that. But also stupid when you're outgunned, too, though. Yeah, Because you're yeah. just going to get everyone shot, you know, so. Well, he drew, and he was surrounded by other guys with, with guns, so that elevated things, that escalated. Yeah, so that's the way it went down. Here's a nitpick that maybe you can commiserate with me on. How did no one notice that, like, Nemec and Cassian had very scruffy hair and beards and shit like that. Oh, so you're saying the other Imperials kind of had a look, kind of like a military look. I did notice that scruffiness nature, but then they had they had a little moment where the commandant was like, oh, these are the men from... Alkenzie, right. Right, right, as, as if that Gorn had set that up, so they had a cover. So I kind of bought that, that okay. part of it. That was a question mark that we had in the last podcast was, what is this airbase we're talking about? Now we know. It's the airbase down the way uh, that we kind of glossed over. That's where the ties hang out. We just hadn't realized that's what they meant when they were talking yeah, about Yeah, I was kind of confused about the whole thing where they had this open link to the, the Alkenzie airbase. And the commandant was like, no, it's remote controlled. I can't do it. But then they just blew it up, the vault up, and, and the, the treasure was revealed. I, think, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I think maybe, and this is just, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention close enough, but if I had to guess, it's something like they kept the link open, A, to know if Alkenzie was talking to them, and B, maybe they needed that as some element to, like, spoof the system. The commandant said the signal to release the money must come from Alkenzie. So if they have the link open, then they can kind of fake like it is coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's cool. They don't have to explain all the details. No. You know, you you have to be paying attention and you can infer some things and it works. So, yeah, that's just that's definitely a nitpick. Oh, another nitpick. Did you notice that even though they recruited the help of the crew that was playing, not Sabak, I don't think, but they were playing some game. And they, they started helping loading. And I swear they were loading for like five minutes and you and then they cut to the vault and it's like as if nothing had been done. It was still... So did you notice that as well? Like the job was advertised as stealing the, the entire payroll. But in actuality, they didn't have the manpower and they didn't have the time to take even a quarter of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I thought so, the way it didn't look like a quarter of it. Exactly. No, I mean, it yeah. looked like maybe, yeah, maybe a quarter of it. Maybe it looked half. like maybe a row of it, you know, because <laughs> those things were probably very heavy because like it was like gold that spilled out. Something like gold. Gold is very dense, very heavy. You need a couple of guys to carry those things or just one guy to go very slowly. Or you need like the cart that killed uh, Nemec. But yeah, they did not move as nearly as much as I thought as they were gonna or needed to. 
Yeah, it might have been a kind of a B-roll issue or yeah, something maybe. on that one. During the heist, why do you think cinematically and editorially they chose to keep cutting back to the Donnie ritual happening outside the base? I like that scene where um, the local was talking trash, basically <laughs> yeah. saying like ghosts are going to haunt them into eternity or something like yeah. that. And Gorn pulled like a C-3PO protocol droid and was like, yeah, everything's good changed his words and the guy was like wait what <laughs> yeah uh, and that made sense because he wants to keep things very cool and casual so they just move along so yeah you picked up on that too and he pulled out a translation from his earlier interaction with the pilgrim leader uh something about maybe they'll find the good in you the i will find the good in you and he, he pulls that back out for the commandant later but he presents it in a very like uninsulting way uh, whereas it was definitely meant as an insult. <laughs> yeah, and I also liked how Gorn was just sucking in all the smugness. Goodness, we've gotten so much smugness from these Imperials. Cartman style, drinking up the tears. They were laying it on heavy, you know, and you could tell Gorn was kind of enjoying it. They should almost throw in like a non-smug Imperial guy, just because it would be shocking. to be like, oh, this guy's actually a pretty nice guy. Here he is, he's not... <laughs> right, right. It could happen. Like the imperial uh, security lady dedra but even she's pretty smug i mean she's not a dick about it but i think if you put her in amongst normies i think she'd still come off pretty smug it's just amongst her peers that she seems a little less smug than the rest of them but yeah i think you're i think you're right there's gonna for this to kind of fulfill its promise of being a very complex show, one element of that might be to show us that people got swept up into the Empire and that apparatus that weren't evil. They were just looking for a job, you know? Yeah, they can form into the, the power structure. And then, you know, I like that how they were just discussing at length how weak-minded the locals are and talking trash about them and easy to manipulate and how they strategically gave them free drinks like open bar. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that they just get drunk and don't make it all the way to the eye and the bread, the bread and circus, you know. They had a lot of colonialism type tropes in there in terms of creating, like you said, like the um, comfort stations. All that is meant to do is get more and more of them peeled off from actually going through with the ceremony. So next time it happens, they won't even bother because ah, I didn't make it last time. No big deal, whatever. And so eventually they just start diminishing the importance of the local traditions to the point where they don't even notice they're not doing them anymore. And, you, and then you combine also like the trading of furs and all that, which is the same as like... Uh, I think the commandant said it was basically like their lease on the place was fulfilled by exchanging those furs um, or skins, they called them. You know, that, of course, that speaks to various trades and things made with uh, indigenous peoples all around the world by colonizing powers. Like the East India Company or whatever, the British kind of system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah all that. Exactly that stuff. But I think cutting back from the heist, at least for me, to the people and their dancing and their singing, it's almost like reminding us what we're fighting for. If we are the rebels, even though there's just 60 people out there doing something that 15,000 used to do, they should still have the right to do it. Yeah, I think they also had to show us that because they had talked it up and it was visually cool. 
and they wanted to show that. And then another nitpick they had, you know, when they were escaping, the meteors and stuff were totally taken out the TIE fighters, but the rebel ship was seemed to be fine. You know, I was wondering, maybe it has better armor or something? Like, what was that about? I think that's two things. I think one was Nemec and his device were part of that, I want to hope. And then TIE fighters, at this period anyway, throughout any continuity of Star Wars, have always been explained to have zero shielding. They're meant to be like super disposable, both in terms of pilots and hardware. And so they have the minimum they need in order to fly fast and shoot. One of those things that they don't need apparently is shielding. So like how the rocks were just like impacting the canopy glass and all that and just like breaking through. I guess that's right. (laughs) Oh, that's kind of cool. No, that's some deep Star Wars knowledge. I'm impressed, Paul. That's really cool. (laughs) But yeah, the ship should have taken a little damage because that was like a flying bus. Did you see the shape of it? It was just like nothing. It was nothing impressive about this thing. But those sequences with the meteors and the TIE fighters and the explosions and and uh, the TIE pilots getting into their ships, all that was super cinematic quality. Looked expensive. Looked like I was in a movie theater watching this even with other Star Wars shows where we know Disney's putting enough money into them to make the story work, people familiar with visual effects can see where things are obviously a visual effect and where things are not. Not that it takes you out of the immersion, but it looks like TV in some cases, in a lot of cases. Whereas this, with the real sets and top-notch effects like this, Maybe this is why they save up their gigantic conflicts for every third episode is is because uh, when they do it, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so you know? cool. I mean, as a TIE fighter, as a character in the Star Wars universe, it's just the it's just so cool. It just it epitomizes coolness in Star Wars. And so, you know, I think everybody feels that, too, and they just bring it out. And yeah, we ain't complaining. That was super cool. Oh, yeah. TIE Fighter, when you say as a character, like last episode when the TIE Fighter buzzes the team in their little valley there just to be a dick. It's dangerous to fly that low, actually. You're not supposed to do that. There's no reason to fly 10 feet off the ground in front of people except to run your TIE engines right over them and show them, you know, who's the who's the boss of this valley. That kind of stuff isn't necessary to make the story work, but it does help us become more immersed in what they're going through, what the Empire's actually like. Again, showing us just what the TIE fighter means to people. It means terror. At the very end, when I on my first watch, uh, when Andor is yelling back, what's my flight path? What's my flight path? I was thinking they didn't discuss where they're going before they got in the air. Kind of felt pretty video game-ish. It's like, okay, go up and now go back down. <laughs> I was like, uh... Yeah, a little bit. There's, it's not much of a ship. They they said that that's all I could do was very light maneuvering. So I, that's what I got to believe was that they had to steer them in to the meteors as like their only defense. And then somehow the Polaroid camera device kept us from getting clobbered and that's all we could do was hope that enough rocks hit the TIE fighters which they did so hooray in that scene when Cinta is keeping track of the tower where the communications happens 
And Alkenzie's like, hey, what's going on over there? And she just like lets it go without pretending or saying or doing anything, really. What do you think that was about? I mean, obviously, she's not selling them out. She's on their team. She she does everything she's supposed to do. But, but that something about that scene was like, was that all that was supposed to happen? She was just supposed to hear that Alkenzie was calling? I think it was your theory going back to they just needed the connection open to make that oh, the vault situation work. And that's what it was about. That, that was the whole plan. So I'm guessing that's what that was on that whole Vel and Senta situation. Did you notice they had a um, the call sign they used was Echo One? Yeah. And I was wondering, going back to Empire, Echo yeah. Base on Hoth. Right. I was wondering if that's like why they named it Echo Base is because in uh, nostalgia for this event that that like we said maybe this was a big event in funding the the uh, rebellion. Ooh, I like that a lot better than just randomly doing a little homage to something that came before in the mind of the viewer. I'll, I'll go with that. That was, you know, General Rykan or, or Princess Leia calling back to this event to motivate people. I like that. Yeah, that's a cool thought, right? Yeah, I like that too. We'll, go, we'll just go with it. Hey, yeah. Maybe. Hey, if you can land an interview with one of the writers or the, what's his name? We can. <laughs> yeah, one of the Gilroys. Yes, we'll do that. We're going to talk about the Senate, man. Oh, well, yeah, sure. We can talk about uh, what happened back on, on Coruscant with Mon Mothma and uh, Lothan. They get a little bit of screen time in this episode. And it was, I guess this is like sort of the galactic version of people's cell phones going off. They just stop paying attention to what's going on around them because they're all getting the same alert at the same time. I had made me think, I was like, have you ever seen a journalist in Star Wars? So you don't see people pulling out their phones all the time, which is maybe it's just it's frowned upon in that culture, which wouldn't that be great if that's how things were for us, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, the holonet was popping off. Really cool to see the Senate again. Kind of a callback to the invasion of Naboo with a commission uh, mm -hmm. for the Gorman people that she was trying to represent there. What was your thoughts on the politics in this one? Earlier, she had talked about the struggle with the Gorman people and how there were other people that her husband was cool with working against her on this very issue. So this was her finally making her pitch. You know, no one's going to pay attention to it because bigger things are happening. It'll get completely forgotten. This humanitarian effort will get lost. It outlined to me, at least, the very like, tangible struggle that she's dealing with in that even though this is a good day for her in her private universe, she's still being beset on all sides. Her family still sucks. Work isn't going that great. <laughs> her work life. Right. And then her side hustle, the, the rebellion, while that's a good day for her, now we know that the ISB is going to start running down leads, of which... She is at the end of, of some of those threads. So now her life is infinitely more dangerous. Yeah, the tension is, is knocked up. And there was that scene where they basically the Empire was going to retaliate against everyone who's not the Empire. This is not a meeting. Don't sit down. Don't get comfortable. We've got shit to do. Tell your families. You don't live there anymore. You live here. <laughs> and then Lothan, even though he's in smiley high spirit fake mode with that customer looking to buy that piece of jewelry with the inscription in a language that no one remembers what i got from that was another interpretation of the way the galaxy is going especially under imperial rule which is 
it's perfectly fine that there may be, since the galaxy is so old, a culture whose language has gone completely forgotten. That could happen. It's happened on Earth. I'm positive of it. However, I think what I'm supposed to get from that more like is now we live under imperial rule and we don't give a shit anymore. You know, languages go forgotten and whatever. Now we just sell their their leftovers as trinkets. And this is who he has to pretend to be, is this guy that doesn't care, is make up your own language. It can be whatever you want it to be. I don't, it's, it's just pretty, isn't it? And uh, so he has to kind of eat his own barf, you know, to be this guy. But that's who he has to be in order to keep a low profile. Kind of like a 1984 thing where it's like gaslighting the past. It's just none of that exists. It doesn't matter. It's just the Good empire and pure I didn't order. Even think of that, but yes, exactly that. And then I think maybe that 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 jewelry piece you're talking about, maybe it was a necklace with kind of like an eye at the at the end of it. Mm. Calling back to the the name of the episode, and uh, there's a lot of eyeness about this episode. The eye, like the um, eye of a storm, you know, being the calm. Whereas, like, say, in the, like, just prior to the heist, outside is the, the things flying overhead and there's the people having their ceremony with, like, fire and dancing and stuff like that. Whereas inside, things are still sort of calm, sort of under wraps, sort of like the eye of the storm. And then... Oh, good call. Things get crazy. Yeah, and, and it was a that. meteor storm type of deal. Yeah, so... No, there's... I'm noticing these these episode titles seem to be important. Like, it's uh, it's well thought out. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty cool. Yeah. And I liked how Lothan, you know, they had, they gave us that trick scare where it's like, you thought, oh, maybe this guy is on to him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then he seems like, whoa, is he super scared? He goes in the back room. No, he, that guy was just a normie or whatever. Yeah. Just read but the he paper. Just, and, and he, his, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But his, his reaction of pure joy was good. And then it was followed by like a big sigh, like, okay, it's on now, you know? And I thought that was a good ending to a good episode. What are you looking for in the next batch of three? We've got another clean slate to start with. Uh, I mean, how is Andor going to sync back up with um, the Rebels? Like, is he going to be on his own now for a while? What's going to happen? We have Andor having bought a cheap ship from the four-armed doctor. I look, tried to look up the doctor. He might be an Ardenian Possibly the same race as the guy from Solo that had four arms. Oh, I know Possibly. maybe Mos Kanata had the similar type of look, but that didn't have four arms. So, yeah, yes, I don't know. Right, because she had the same sort of like eyes and stuff like that. Whereas the guy from Solo, I think his face is somewhat different. There are a few four-armed species in Star Wars. Remember Dexter Jetster was uh, four-armed, but obviously a very different. He had like an iguana kind of face. Anyhow, so yeah, he, got, he buys that guy's ship. So he's setting off for some place, but I think you're right. There is no show. There is no point of continuing the show if he doesn't figure out how to hook back up with the Rebellion before long. But does something come along between now and then that drives him back? I could see him getting detained and then getting rescued by the rebels or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe. Because, I mean, the uh, patrols are probably going to be more intense than they were before the heist. We don't know how far away they got from Aldani. Maybe not that far. <laughs> right? Uh, this isn't much of a, a ship that they got. Then did they show us actually going to light speed? I don't think so. I don't think so either. 
So maybe they're not all that far away. And we don't know what quality ship he has. We know that he has some money. Does he return back to Ferrix where he promised to go back? Well, I don't know because they did set that up in, in a previous episode where they have the, the presence now when they, they annexed the... Oh, that, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So I, I, yeah, I bet they will go back there and that, that would bring back in Bix and some of the other characters. Because he felt like there was like unfinished business there. And you're right. I had totally forgotten that that we had seen the ISB setting up shop there, kicking people out of like an apartment building so that they could set up a local base. Why would they show us all that if not to have us go back there and show us how bad things have gotten under direct imperial rule? Maybe seeing his friends affected much more deeply by the Empire is the spark that he'll need, the personal spark he'll need to re-up, you know? Did they say he kind of owned, he owed money there too, maybe, yeah. or something? So yeah. there you go. Maybe he's as a man of his word. He's going to go pay his debt. Remember there like was that. the guy who tried to hassle him in the uh, mm-hmm. with, right. his, with his big friend? So yeah, maybe that's it. Go back to Ferrix, pay your debts, see things are bad there. Maybe even lose a couple of friends because of the Imperials. And then he's like, all right, now it means something to me. I like it, Paul. I think we got a good prediction going forward, man. All right. Well, I think uh, I think I can live with that. Well, if people wanted to find you on the social medias, where would they look, Mark? I am Jiggy Nut on Twitter. And I am Paul V. Daly on Twitter or Pod Clubhouse. And uh, you can reach out there and ask us anything you want about the podcast anyway, or our theories or ridicule us for getting things wrong. But we haven't really gotten that much wrong, I don't think. Um, if you uh, would be so kind as to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, that'd be great. So other people could find it and enjoy our galactic theories as well. So until next week, this is Paul. This is Mark. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.